How many of you have had a great week so far? Anybody had a great week? Well, I guess today's actually the beginning of another week. But, you know, if you had a great week, I, I hope you did. We, my family, the Turner family, we had a sort of a mixed week. We, we welcomed a new granddaughter into our life. Give her a hand, yes. Adeline Marie uh, was born on Monday, and then she went back in the hospital like on Thursday or something like that, and everything's good now. She's gone home, so all the excitement's done, but we had a good week overall, with, even with a little anxiousness. Um, how many of you feel blessed this morning? Do you feel blessed? I hope you feel blessed. Um, what does it mean? To be blessed. What does it mean to really enjoy life? I, I read this uh, thing in uh, Our Daily Bread. Uh, Philip Parham shared this story about a rich industrialist who walked by this fisherman who was lazily sitting beside his boat, and it really bothered this rich guy. And he asked the fisherman, Why aren't you out there fishing? And the fisherman said, well, because I've caught enough fish for today. Well, why don't you catch more fish than you need? And the fisherman said, well, what would I do with them? And the rich man said, well, you could earn more money, uh, you know, and buy a better boat so you could go deeper and catch more fish. You could purchase nylon nets, catch even more fish, make even more money, Soon you'd have a fleet of boats and be rich like me. And the fisherman said, well, then what would I do? And the rich man said, well, you could sit down and enjoy life. What do you think I'm doing, said the fisherman. <laughs> you know, it seems like uh, the fisherman had already figured out what the rich guy was searching for. People have different ideas about what truly enjoying life is all about. Is it about getting as much material possessions as we can before we end up dying? Is it about storing up uh, all the treasures we can get in this life? Or is it about learning to be more content? Is it about having peace? Is it about family, fun, doing whatever I want whenever I want? The problem is that some people see that as having no drive to succeed to be our best. And those who believe material possessions are the key to a happy life often discover that once they have the possessions, something still seems missing. And today, as we're finishing up this series, Simple Money, Rich Life, our text and our lesson reveal some things about wealth that are important for us to understand. Today we want to see what God thinks about how to enjoy our lives. And we discover this big idea for the message. To truly enjoy life, we need a well-balanced, godly approach to our finances. I think that's a big part of finally being able to find the peace and the joy that God wants us to experience. So let's go to God in prayer. Father, help us to enjoy you through the enjoyment of the gifts that you've poured into our lives. 
Help us to put money and material things in their proper place and find our satisfaction in you. Help us discover the secret of how we can enjoy our lives, getting the most out of our time on this earth. And Father, we know that you are the giver of life. You have blessed us so richly. There is so much more to life than material possessions. So Father, help us to truly discover that truth Help us to appreciate the things that really matter. Jesus said he came so that we might have life and have it to the full. Help us to know what that means. In Jesus' name, amen. So today as we conclude this series, we're going to be going to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to be going through verses 17 through 19. And there we discover that Paul wrote directly to those who were wealthy, those who were rich in the church. It serves as a reminder for us to find our contentment in God. But it also reminds us that God gives us in, in things, including wealth. You know, the resources God gives us are all meant for us to enjoy. So the first thing that I see as we go into our text is that we need to beware of the dangers of wealth. We need to be aware of those dangers. In the first part of verse 17, Paul instructed Timothy to give a warning to some people. And the warning is specifically direct, directed to those who are wealthy. In 1 Timothy 6, 17, he writes, Command those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. So let's think about what Paul wrote there. The, there's a problem with wealth. How many millionaires still get sick and die? You, you hear what I'm saying? Wealth can't Keep us from all problems and all harm. Often, those who have wealth can become arrogant about what they have. They can believe that their money gives them the right to treat other people any way they want to treat them. They may think that they should be treated differently and that they are better than others around them because of what they have. But remember, like we said last week, Money doesn't really change us. It actually enhances the character a person has. If they were greedy before, they will be even more greedy now. But if they were generous before they had that wealth, they will be even more generous now. Some people may believe that wealth will fix all of their problems. But the truth is that sometimes it can't fix our problems. Now, I would say that certainly money can help us afford medical care. It can help us get a lawyer. It can give us a more comfortable material lifestyle. But with all of that money, you know what money can't buy? You tell me. It can't buy happiness. I read about a guy named Buddy Post 
who won the $16.2 million lottery in Pennsylvania back in 1988. I think $16.2 million in 1988, that was a lot of money. His name was Buddy Post, and he is living proof that money can't buy happiness. The Chicago Tribune did an article on him in 1996, and, and it shared some of these things. Since then, he was convicted of assault. His sixth wife left him. His brother was convicted of trying to kill him. And his landlady successfully sued him for one-third of the jackpot. He says, money didn't change me. Now, he was a former carnival worker and cook. Can you imagine getting that much money after having to live that kind of lifestyle? But what he says, and there's probably some truth to it, it changed people around me that I knew, that I thought cared a little bit about me. But the only, they only cared about the money. Now, that could be true too, right? That if somebody gets wealthy, that suddenly those that they thought were really their friends, it sort of changes. So um, at the time of the article, he was trying to auction off 17 future payments valued at nearly $5 million so he could pay off his taxes, his legal fees, and the number of failed business ventures that he had gotten himself into. He also planned to spend his life as an ex-winner pursuing lawsuits he had filed against police, judges, and lawyers, he says conspired to take his money. And he said, I'm just trying to stay at home and mind my P's and Q's. Money draws flies. Well, think about this. Sometimes wealth brings about problems that we didn't have before the money came. Like discovering new family members you never knew you had, right? We also should be aware of the uncertainty of wealth. The truth is that wealth can be fleeting. In Proverbs 23, 5, we read, Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. There are plenty of people who have done what Bob Post did, win the lottery and end up destitute. Or think of the athletes who have made millions of dollars in their career and they end up bankrupt. It's all gone. Think back to 2005 to 2007 when the housing market plummeted and the banks fell apart. A lot of people lost everything and many people committed suicide because they couldn't face life with that situation. You see, sometimes things are just out of our control. And that is a danger in wealth because we may think we have it made, that we're in control, and all of a sudden the stock market crashes and everything's gone. There's a danger of putting our hope in wealth. So you can imagine, if we put our hope in material wealth, we, we could be totally wiped out. If our hope is tied up in money, we will be disappointed. But it's much more than that. 
While wealth can provide many things in this life, it can't buy us anything in the next life. This, to me, is the greatest danger. Some people may put more trust in money than they do in Jesus. It could be easy for a wealthy person to fall into the trap of thinking that their wealth is the secret to enjoying life. They could easily be duped into thinking that money is the solution to all their problems. They could think that their hope is found in money. But friends, the truth is, true enjoyment doesn't come from material wealth. So if money and material wealth isn't the key to happiness, what is? Well, that's the second thing that we read in our text. We need to search for the true riches. We need to discover what is truly going to bring lasting joy. And I'm not telling you that a wealthy person can't experience joy. That is not what Paul was saying. The truth is that a wealthy person who understands the dangers of wealth does not have to fall into those traps if they will seek after the true riches of life, then they can find true enjoyment in life. So let's read in our text the second part of verse 17. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So basically what Paul is saying is that we need to shift our hope from material wealth to God. So here's the key to finding joy. We have to make sure that our hope is in God and not in money. If you're putting your hope in money, you will need to shift that hope over to God if you really want to find out how to live a fulfilled life. God is the only one who you can rely on. Material wealth is so volatile. Think of what we read in Psalm 42, 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. So do you put your hope in a created thing? You know, money and all those material possessions, they're all created. They're man-made. Are you putting your hope in something that is man-made? Or are you putting your hope in the Creator? Remember what Romans 1, 25 tells us. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. How can we put our hope in something that is so volatile and so uncertain? Why not put our trust and hope in the Creator who will never forsake us? We can do this when we recognize God as the ultimate provider 
One of the Hebrew names of God is Jehovah Jireh. And we know that that means the Lord will provide or the Lord will see to it. I sort of like that. The Lord will see to it. God sees us. He knows what we're going through. He knows what we need even more than we know what we need. Matthew 6, 33, we're reminded, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Friends, when we recognize and trust in God, we will begin to trust him rather than trust our own abilities or the material possessions we might gain. And then we can begin embracing a mindset of contentment. Did you notice in the text that God provides all these things for our enjoyment? God wants us to enjoy life. Like the fishermen in the original story, we need to find a way to be okay with what God has provided. Paul had learned that secret as well. He wrote in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every, any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Can you be content if you have a little or if you have a lot? Can you be content because you have a relationship with God? You see, the peace you have because of your relationship with God, that will bring contentment. When you have that kind of relationship, you will have confidence that no matter what, God has your back. Now, it might not be the life we dreamed of, you know. It might not be living in the mansion you thought you would have. But it will be peace with God. We can live a life of gratitude towards God. And so, friends, true enjoyment comes from a relationship with God and a thankful heart. When we have that relationship, the way we live will be changed. Which brings us to our third point today, walking the path to true enjoyment. How will we live if we have contentment with God and we are at peace with Him? In 1 Timothy 6.18, Paul wrote, Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Friends, our lives will be marked by two things that Paul mentioned if we have this relationship with God. First of all, our lives will be marked by doing good. That means doing acts of kindness. It's not too hard to figure out what that means, is it? 
doing good for others, especially for those who have no way of repaying us, reveals this relationship with God. You know, sometimes people will help folks because then that person will owe them something. You know, that's sort of the motivation. Well, I'll do a favor for you, and then you owe me, and you'll have to do a favor back. And so they only help people so that they can get something over on them. But the truth is, when we do good for people who may not deserve it or can never repay it, we are revealing the heart of God within us. Isn't that what God has done for us? God has blessed us in so many ways, and there's no way any of us could ever fully repay God. Sometimes we may get tired of doing good. I'll admit that there are times when I see my phone ring and I don't want to answer it. Have you ever been there? Maybe it's, maybe it's a number that you've seen several times and you know what's coming if you answer it, right? And sometimes we might feel taken advantage of by people. But friends, here is the truth. It isn't that person that I'm serving as much as it is a God that I'm serving. That needs to be my attitude. In Galatians 6, 9, we read, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So friends, one way to enjoy what God has blessed us with is by doing good with it, by helping others. Now this may include being generous or having a willingness to share. How many of you ever had to teach your children the, the I guess, the joy of sharing? You know, ki kids don't necessarily recognize the joy in it right away, right? Um, why, why is that a joy? You know, I'm giving up something I want to do. But generosity, of course, is a part of God's character. And the Holy Spirit will lead us into that generosity. By being generous, we are living our best life. We reveal that we're not selfish, that we're not self-centered, that we're putting God first. We reveal that our attitude towards money is that God has blessed us with everything we have and we know it is not just for us. In Proverbs 22, 9, we read the generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. So by being generous, we open the door for God to bless us as we bless others. How many times have you thought, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to bless this person, and as you drove away, you realized maybe you were blessed more than the blessing you gave. If you want to discover true enjoyment in life, being generous is a key. So friends, true enjoyment is found in helping others and making a positive impact on our world. 
Paul shared one more thought with Timothy. Part of learning how to enjoy life is preparing for the joy that is to come. For those of us of faith, there's an understanding that there is more than just this life on earth. Do I get an amen on that? Are we excited that there is more than this? In 1 Timothy 6.19, we read, In this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So friends, we need to understand the eternal significance of our actions. Everything you do and say. And in, in Revelation 20, the Bible says that there, there's a book written about every one of us. Did you know that there's a biography of your life that's stored away with God? And on the day of judgment, that book will be opened. And everything you've done, everything you've said, everything you've thought, every motive that we've had written in the book and will be judged according to what is in that book. How many of you are scared to hear that? <laughs> but here's the truth. Jesus' blood blots out the record of my sin in that book. So when the book is opened, the only thing that God sees is the good that I've done. Praise God. Jesus makes us appear to be perfect children when we know that we are far from perfect. Now, this is how we're laying up treasures in heaven because every good deed I do is recorded in the book. And as God opens it, he sees all those good things. And our Father is pleased, just as you would be pleased as a parent to read all the good things that your children have done. Paul wrote that we need to lay up that treasure in heaven. This is a focus on the life that is to come, eternity. We're not just focused on this life. We're focused on what is coming. And while there ain't no U-Haul behind a hearse, as my good friend Jay Banks wrote, God certainly indicates that we can store treasures in heaven. In Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19, we read, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. When we do good on earth, in the name of the Lord, not trying to pat ourselves on the back, but giving God the glory, we are storing up treasures in heaven. God rewards that kind of good deed. He sees it. He remembers it. 
And that's how we build up a firm foundation for the future. It's interesting that Paul would describe our heavenly reward in this way. Like building a house that will stand a long time. That house would need a firm, solid foundation. And the concept is that when we use the resources God has provided to us to bless His kingdom, to invest in His kingdom, God counts that and He stores it up in heaven for us. Not the material blessings, but the spiritual blessings. How many of you ever heard the song by Ray Bolts, Thank You for Giving to the Lord? Anybody ever heard this? Um, I, I want to just remind you of the words of the song and, and just think about it. He said, I dreamed I went to heaven and you were there with me. We walked upon the streets of gold beside the crystal sea. We heard the angels singing. Then someone called your name. You turned and saw this young man and he was smiling as he came. He said, friend, you may not know me now. And then he said, but wait, you used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. And every week you would say a prayer before the class would start. And one day when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus into my heart. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. And then another man stood before you and said, Remember the time a missionary came to your church? And his pictures made you cry. You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took the gift you gave, and that's why I'm here today. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you gave. And one by one they came, far as the eye could see, each life somehow touched by your generosity. Little things that you have done, sacrifices made, unnoticed on the earth, in heaven, now proclaimed. And I know that up in heaven, you're not supposed to cry, but I'm almost sure there were tears in your eyes as Jesus took your hand and you stood before the Lord. And he said, my child, look around you for great is your reward. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. Now friends, just imagine that day at the end of your life and you face God on judgment. Jesus' blood having blotted out all of the record of your sin and now the only thing he sees are the good deeds that you've done. And imagine on that day as you reach heaven, all of the people that you've blessed, all of the people that have meant so much to you, would there be someone who would say thank you? If you want to know how to enjoy it all, friends, that's how. Because true enjoyment extends into eternity 
when we live in alignment with God's values today. So be aware of the dangers of wealth and have a healthy view of money. Search for the true riches that are only found in a relationship with God. Discover the blessing of being a blessing and prepare yourself for eternity. Father, thank you for blessing us so richly. I pray that each of us will learn the secret of truly enjoying life. It's not about how much we get, but recognizing our blessings in being generous. You have blessed us so richly, especially with Jesus, who died to give us hope for eternity, whose blood has blotted out the record of our sin. So, Father, when we are judged, only the good is seen. May we store up our treasures in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.